The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the season finale of Time Masters, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. PoppyChulo Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Monday, September 6th, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Please welcome my co-host, Millie Wood. Hello, everyone. And Professor X. Hello, everyone. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 6, Episode 15, which was titled The Fungus Among Us, and aired September 5th, 2021. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. When Sarah realizes Bishop's plan, Ava convinces Sarah to allow the Legends to make exception to the rules to help fight back. Bayrod comes up with an interesting plan that allows Sarah to connect with an old friend. Meanwhile, amidst a battle, Sarah and Ava make an important decision, but need the help of the team, but need the help of the team to pull it off. All right, season finale, season six, a couple episodes away from the 100th episode, a couple of weeks away from season seven. Listeners, if y'all can believe it. Uh, let's talk about the season finale. Let, let me do a l- little bit of setup before I ask the first question. So, shit kind of hits the fan. It's insane from even the, like the start of the episode. So, we've got Spooner, who's near death. Uh, Mick Rory did not die, but he's a little extra crispy after saving his final um, offspring. We have Kayla. Sorry about that, Millie. <laughs> yes, poor Millie. Uh, we have Kayla's ship getting uh, completely hijacked and stolen by Bishop. And uh, an alien pod has landed in Odessa circa 1925. And, and basically it's a um, their uh, reconnaissance. And, and they send out a beacon to start an alien invasion. So it's quite a way to start the episode. We also get a little line from Bishop that really inspires the plan for the episode. And basically Bishop says, you know, I know you, Sarah Lance. I know what you're thinking. I know you figured out my plan. And so the legends decide to do what would Sarah never do. And they've decided that whatever instincts Sarah has of something that she would never, ever, ever do... That's what they're going to do to save the day and to fight Bishop. And that leads them to go to a young Bishop who's perfecting his Ava clone in the year, what was that, in the year 20, um, it was 2212. So let's talk about this. Young Bishop, what would Sarah never do? Professor, what'd you think of the setup? What'd you think of them bringing in young Bishop and how, how did you find the actor playing a young, much more innocent, a a nice Bishop before he goes all evil genius? I I loved it. I I really liked the fact that, uh, you know, we talked before about how great it is that the characters on legends more than on most shows get to play variants of their characters or even completely different characters uh, and how much fun it must be for an actor. Uh, And, you know, I've really liked the actor playing Bishop all along, but he's, he's very over the top by the time we meet him uh, at his future point in the timeline, meeting him when he's younger, a bit more restrained, but still an arrogant piece of work uh, I thought was great. And canonically, I think we can all agree Bishop is Canadian. So I think that's awesome. Yay. Um, 
Uh, so I really like that. I, I thought it was it was really good. And the whole idea of, you know, I've said before, the whole idea that just because you have 6% of someone's DNA doesn't mean you think like them. So that's bullshit. But still, if it did drive them to do the whole what wouldn't Sarah do as their motivation, I thought that was a great ploy. And uh, and they really played it well. So I thought it, it ended up setting things up uh, in a really nice way, even though I think the science is nonsense. Uh, you know, in storytelling terms, I thought they, they played it uh, the best way they could. And also seeing, you know, the the original Ava Prime there, uh, you know, because I actually thought that was going to be, oh, my God, that's going to be our Ava. And then she just glitches and, and, and you know, basically dies there in the, uh, the tube. And it's like, OK, that wasn't our Ava. No, it was not. But he does end up meeting our Ava, which was spectacular. Millie, your take on young Bishop as well as young Bishop meeting our Ava. Yeah, I agree with the professor. It was really fun to see um, a different side of Bishop, the more calm side. Um, I kind of like the young Bishop because he is less of an evil genius, but he has the undermakings of it. And the interaction, like seeing uh, Ol or our Ava, also was really great. I, I like how he was like figuring out like how this like complementing the future himself, um, and just kind of like I'm surprised he didn't put it two and two together quicker. But it is fun to kind of see the younger one of him. Did I hear you almost call her old Ava? Did I hear that correctly, Millie Wood? Um, no. I think it was just a stumble. It was like, I think it was supposed to be like original Ava, but... Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I see, I see what you were going to say. Well, let's talk about the, the connection. Because, I, it, I mean, it was a spectacular moment in the episode when young Bishop realizes that the big bad that he was sort of fighting against because he does end up creating a serum that uh, brings uh, brings um, Spooner back from the brink. Uh, what, what did you think of his reaction to the connection, you know, realizing that that was himself in the future as their big bad, Millie? I liked it. It was fun to see that realization come on his face. Um... And then to see kind of like what he can turn into um, was also kind of interesting. Totally. 100%. So uh, while young Bishop is doing what he's doing, um, we we have something else that is that's something that uh, Sarah would never do end up happening. And that's... All right. So Bayrod ends up learning, that, well, he returns, um, and so much has happened, and he's, he said he was suspicious of John, and this, that, or the other, he should have been there. Uh, so the, everyone learns that John died, and uh, he sort of turned into um, ash or whatever, and, and the only thing that was left was a little mushroom. Bayrod was spending a whole lot of time with the mushroom, and he is convinced that John is communicating through the mushroom, which he goes and tells Zari that first. And Zari's like, really? You're stoned after my boyfriend dies and you're telling me that you can chat with him through the mushroom? What? Uh, And so she doesn't buy it. But later on, uh, he tries to convince the rest of the legends that it's true, that he spoke with John and that he wants to speak with all of them. They just have to nibble on the shroom. I mean, that sounds, you know, perfectly plausible, right? So everyone leaves because they're like, nah, this is a little too crazy. I'm not going to nibble on that. But uh, what would Sarah never do? And that is bite on a mysterious mushroom. And so she ends up hearing Constantine, the whole what would Sarah never do thing, convinces her to take a nibble. And she does chat with Constantine. He explains that his life force is what's keeping the Fountain of Imperium alive, that the Fountain no longer wants to stay on Earth, that uh, the Fountain doesn't believe in the humans anymore, based off of everything that's happened. But he's, he's trying to keep the Fountain and Spooner alive with the last of his life essence. So, let's talk about the insanity of this moment. Period. A little mushroom, John Constantine communing with Sarah. Professor, your take on uh, Sarah's chat with Constantine via um, mushroom. 
Well, first, I'd like to point out that last week, someone on this panel uh, said, what a shame it was that Bayrod wasn't there when a giant magic mushroom appeared. Hmm. Does that uh, qualify as a prediction? Uh, I yes. don't know. Um, uh, I did like it. You know, and of course, it makes sense that, you know, um, Astro brings in this, you know, mushroom and, you know, it's all we have left of John. And of course, Bayrod's going to eat it. Uh, and of course, he's going to have that reaction. It, it felt so true to the character and also so true for Sarah to be dealing with the whole, you know, what wouldn't Sarah do uh, side of things. Uh, it, uh, it really was a great payoff of that. Uh, it was also, you know, interesting to sort of see we had that different version of John in, you know, you know, in basically, you know, again, off the white version of uh, John Constantine, which was interesting. Uh, but I like that. And, you know, it was a little bit of, you know, not quite redemption because John has been such an asshole for the whole season. And but for him to, you know, sort of, you know, stick around and give his life for us to keep the fountain of Imperium alive, you know, to give him that slightly heroic turn at the end, which I thought was nice. Totally, totally. Let's let's actually chat about that because we have been talking about Constantine, what they're going to do with Constantine. We we all learned during the what was it, virtual Comic-Con that Constantine as a character would be leaving at the end of the season. This is the season finale, and uh, Matt Ryan would be sticking around and playing a brand new character in the new season. That starts in five weeks. So we found out what they did with Constantine. And at the start of the episode, it looks like he was dead. Like, dead, dead. Like, dead, dead, dead. And uh, the time that we saw him chatting with Sarah, we thought he was going to be dead, dead. Like, dead, dead, dead as well. Um, And he was even, like, it seemed as he was, like, he was accepting that he was going to be dead. Because he was talking about how, you know, the last life force and this, that, or the other. And, and so he was going to be there to keep the, um, the, the uh, Fountain of Imperium alive and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the episode, we see him chat with Zari one last time. And we all knew, we were all um, pretty certain last time, that uh, Zari was going to get the chance to chat with Constantine during the finale. I was under the assumption that it was going to be from beyond the grave, and then maybe Astro was going to help, you know, because she does have the powers and that sort of thing. It turns out that he just appears to her because he's not dead. When he went down into the pits of hell, well, Let's just say he he does a little uh, um, he has, does a little ruse saying that the fountain forgave him and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't that when he was down in the pits of hell, he basically makes another deal. So someone else now owns his soul chip, and uh, he has to go off be by his lonesome um, because he realized that maybe he isn't the best with the team. And uh, he will be out there, you know, I guess doing whatever the new soul owner wants him to do. But we do get a farewell between both of them where they basically agree that they loved each other, that they don't regret what transpired between them happening, and they both kind of agree that it was destined to not fizzle out, but destined to kaboom at a certain point. Millie, let's talk about this. So... Constantine died, but came back. He is now going to be his Constantini loner self. We did did get like a little bit of closure. So between him and and uh, and Zari, so that wasn't a a wasted romance per se. What'd you think of how they handled Constantine's departure? And were you surprised at the end that that was him alive? Deep down, I was. I still thought that, like, he would stay dead, dead. But um, I, and as the professor said many times, like, I get why you wouldn't kill off the character. And I feel like it makes sense to bring him back the way that they did. Um, and I did appreciate that, like, they gave Zari the, the closer, closure that she needed. Um, so that kind of wouldn't be necessarily, like, drawn out in the next season as part of her story arc. So um, I am glad that there was that moment. Um, for that, and also, like, the moment that he had with Sarah as well, um, it makes sense that, like, they kind of, those are the two that they got to speak with 
alive slash dead or mushroom high uh, John. So overall, I think in in terms of the character and the way to go, um, it makes sense that he went off that way and it closes the door for the most part. But I guess it also, if they ever wanted to bring him back, could do that if they did want to down down the road. Correct. I do wonder if they will ever be allowed to do that, based off of the fact that HBO Max is developing its own Constantine series. I kind of feel like that's the reason why Constantine is leaving. Professor, since we've been discussing this for the past couple weeks, I want to get your take on how they handled Constantine's departure. And I also want to add on a question for you. Do you think that we will ever see Constantine again? And the reason I'm asking this is because Legends has been renewed for the next season, who knows how many more seasons it's going to get after that. But I just like the idea of Constantine as a character meeting and playing against Matt Ryan's new character. Because everything that I've read about his new character makes it sound like he's going to be diametrically opposite of what Constantine was. Uh, in, in an interview I read with Matt Ryan, he basically is talking about how excited he is because he actually gets to go... Uh, try costumes every week he gets to go to fittings which he never really got the chance to do because for the most part he's always dressed in the trench coats and and the suit and that sort of thing so i feel like this is going to be a, a character that's a little bit more out there than constantine so in my mind i'm already sort of imagining just maybe one episode in a scene where matt ryan can play off of him you know constantine and this new character i think that might be kind of fun do you think that would ever happen or do you think we're done with him Oh, I think it's entirely possible, and, and I would like to see it. I think the fact that, you know, John did give Zari uh, a key, uh, you know, I think that holds up the possibility that we may see a return of some sort. Um, I don't think that the reason they wrote off Constantine was because of the HBO series. I think, you know, as we're seeing right now, there's a Flash TV show and there's a Flash movie going on, and ne'er the twain shall meet, unless Grant Gustin has a, a brief cameo. Um, so I don't think that matters as much. I think, honestly, it's just that they've done everything they could with John. You know, John Constantine was too big a character. He was sucking the oxygen. We talked about it this season that, you know, his subplots would suck the oxygen out of the uh, the entire episode. Um, and I think they've done everything they could with John, especially if they're not really dealing with, you know, and we don't really know what they'll be dealing with in terms of their uh, their opponent next season. But, you know, if, if they're not dealing with magical threats, what's the point of having John Constantine on the team? Um, you know, he was never really that good a team player. We did get some interesting character development for him this season uh, with Zari, but it is curious that you know at the end of it all john is restored he has his power back um his uh his soul has been sold to a demon he's kind of back exactly where he was at the beginning he has grown a little bit in terms of character but in terms of john constantine he's kind of this eternal unchanging thing mm -hmm. uh, and i kind of like that you know i'm not one of those you know people online who was oh that's not john constantine meh, meh, meh. he's you know he's, he's gone soft or anything like that I like the fact that there was some character growth, but I do think the important thing about John Constantine is that at his heart, he's an asshole. And, uh, you know, he sort of returned to that. He's not, he's, you know, it's, you know, a friend of mine once said the difference between a jerk and an asshole is an asshole knows what he's doing. I think Constantine may have graduated to jerk status, but he's still a jerk. I love that. I'm going to use that at some point. So, Professor, you're, because I was going to ask theories about the key. Your theory about the key has to do with somehow maybe needing Constantine's help and then that's how she would use it to maybe bring him back for an episode. That's what you think the key is about? Well, uh, my gut feeling is that the key is to his house because it looks like they're going to be stuck on earth. They're going to need a base of operations. So if they already have that set or they already have that location, I, it would be a logical place for them to go to, uh, to hang out while they're trying to figure out what their next step is. Um, but yeah, it would seem to suggest that, you know, and the way that John said, uh, you know, find out what it fits, suggests that it's more than just that. And I am curious. I would like to see something. As I say, I would love to see Matt Ryan come back and play John Constantine against this version of himself. Um, I think that would be really interesting and a lot of fun for Matt Ryan. I, 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 and, you know. You, you talked about, you know, Matt Ryan. He's been playing the same character for, you know, years on this show uh, and even going back to the NBC series. I think for him, it'll be a much more interesting uh, experience to play a completely different character. But totally. if he could have, you know, one episode where he could sort of, you know, jump back into the uh, the John Constantine uh, of it all, I think that would be a lot of fun for him as well. And and as I said, I've often said, you know, I like it when I'm watching the show and I get the feeling the actors are having fun. And uh, I haven't been getting the feeling that, you know, uh, Matt Ryan's been having as much fun with Constantine this season. And uh, I'm looking forward to him having something that he can do that, you know, will stretch his acting chops and give him a little more fun to play with. 
Okay. Millie, what about you? Any theories on the key? Do you agree with the professor? It's it's to his house. Do you think that it could be something more? My first thought was that it was to his house, uh, just because it's it it such a large key, and it would make sense that, like, what does he really have left? Um, I thought maybe it could have been, like, some kind of token for him, but because he had given that away to somebody else, it didn't make sense. I think the most logical thing would be the house. Okay. I kind of feel like they might have keys to the house. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like that's something, I feel like all of them just have a key to the house. I wonder if maybe it's to a particular room in the house that might, for some reason, have something that could help them. Um, But we'll have to wait and see. I think we'll have the answer to this in five weeks. So (laughs) we're not going to be on the edge of our seats for uh, too long. So let's talk about the other departure in this episode. And that departure is Mick. So throughout the episode, uh, we got, you know, Mick and Kayla together. Kayla still being sort of gruff and hard. And Mick really opening up and being a lot softer than we've seen him in the past. Uh, We got uh, a line from him to Kayla about wanting to be in his uh, children's uh, offspring's life because he wasn't in Kayla's, not Kayla's, um, Lita's life. And she, he just got her back. And so he wants to be there every step of the way for his uh, children with Kayla, even though Kayla's saying, well, well, my species, you know, it's the mother that does all the raising and this, that, or the other. But Mick is like, nope, I'm going to be there. Um, Kayla throughout the episode softens to Mick. At one point, she was ready to just depart, but, uh, you know, he convinces her to stay. During uh, a big moment in the episode, we see a little hand being held. And at the end of it all, when Mick ends up having a conversation with Sarah, she was like, I know, you're leaving. You know, you have 48 kids plus Lita, 49, plus uh, a grandchild on the way. I know, you know, you need to go off and and do what you need to do. So uh, he's going to be traveling with Kayla and his children. And the, the actor will be recurring. So we will see Mick at some point again. But this is Mick officially leaving the Wave Rider. Millie. What did you think of how they handled Mick's departure? I feel like his de- the way he was going to depart was kind of evident with the whole alien baby plotline. But I do like that um, we got that moment between him and Sarah at the end because it's like they're a couple of the OG legends. Well, they are the OG legends. So um, for them to have that conversation and that, Sarah just kind of know and they can reminisce about everything and, and where they've grown and stuff. But that was a really cute moment. I wasn't expecting, um, but I'm glad we got it. And it makes sense. Like that's, you know, how era of our shows like to wrap up people's storylines is with a cute little bow. So that was very fitting. Um, and a nice little growth moment for Mick, uh, and this whole journey. Totally. I was a little bit surprised at the moment when I was watching it, that we didn't get a big cast goodbye. But at the end of the day, I I think this one made the most sense. Because Mick isn't really, you know, a, 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 uh, I don't know, this might sound wrong. I I mean, he's a team player, but he isn't really, like, um, I don't know how to describe it. Other than it just seemed appropriate for the character. Like, for everyone else, we've gotten, like, the big cast goodbye, and it makes sense. But Mick has always been a bit of a loner within the team. And his real true connection is to Sarah. So I think it was most appropriate that they got to say the goodbyes together. Plus, as you said, Millie, he is an OG. And they, both of them, are the the final OGs. I mean, technically, 
Well, Gideon is an OG too, but you know what I'm saying. A professor. I was just going to point that out. Yes. I will not stand here while my my uh, my girl Gideon is being disrespected. Yes, but professor, your take on Mick's goodbye? Did you find it appropriate that it was just Sarah? Did you want it to be the group together? What did you think of how they handled Mick's departure? No, him and Sarah together was exactly the right way to go. A, because, as you say, they are, you know, two OGs, um, you know, for him to be leaving and for her to, like, basically, you know, spell it out. Who would have thought six years ago that, you know, who would have thought six years ago this show would still be on the air, especially after that first season. Um, But, you know, for her to sort of, you know, reflect and the way, you know, them just sitting there with beers, the way two old friends would sit there, you know, after a wedding or something like that. Can you believe we're here now? Uh, It was, it was, it was really sweet. And I think it was the right way to go. You know, obviously, you know, for COVID reasons, it makes sense to, uh, to keep people separate and keep the groups, but it would have felt, you know, if, if they'd done the bigger group, Mick would have had to lapse into his Mick Rory gruff mur, 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 uh, version, but you know, they could have him open up a little bit because it was just Sarah. And I found that was, you know, really touching and sweet, uh, in a way that, you know, um, you know, really was a good payoff. And yeah, I would love to see him come back in some way, find out what's happening with him and Lita or him and the, uh, you know, the, the 48 to half alien babies. Um, I, the other thing, you know, with the, uh, the decision for him to leave it, it was, you know, maybe a tiny bit rushed, although we have gotten hints of that over the past three or four episodes, you know, Mick developing the maternal feelings, but I think it was a good payoff for last season where he found out about Lita and, you know, was dealing with the sense of, of being a bad father and an absentee father and not wanting to make the same mistake again this time. So I think, you know, it was a good payoff for some things that were actually, you know, seeds that were planted last season, uh, you know, getting that, that payoff and that realization in this season, you know, it ended up giving him a very satisfactory reason to leave the show. Um, they hadn't had that much to do with the character, quite frankly, this season, aside from, you know, putting aliens in his brain. Um, so I think it makes sense from a storytelling point of view and, you know, bring in some fresh blood, you know, shake things up. But it was the right thing, you know, the right way to do it. Just him and Sarah saying goodbye. It, it was the only character he could unburden himself and open up to in that way. And uh, and it was really just sweet. It was the two of them just sitting there sharing beers. Uh, you know, the two characters, you know, who've had, you know, tremendous arcs, and, you know, over these six seasons. It's it's amazing to think about what they were like when they first joined uh, the Wave Rider. 100% night and day. Yeah, talk about character development in a big way. All right, let's talk about a tiny, tiny, teeny, tiny little moment. But it was spectacular in its execution. So we didn't get a lot of Amy Louise Pemberton as uh, Gideon in this episode, but it was used, the way that she was used was spectacular. So Gideon finally gets back online. She ends up thanking Kayla for, you know, all of the fixes and then she gets hijacked all over again by Bishop's pre-recorded message. I don't know if either of you have any thoughts about Gideon, but I laughed because Amy Louise Pemberton's voice, her inflection in her dialogue, it was just beautifully done. It was masterful. Uh, I didn't mention this last week, but I'm, I'm actually annoyed by the way they've been nerfing um, Gideon. I uh, know it is interesting because, you know, we know Amy Louise Pemberton is going to be joining the cast as a flesh and blood person. Yay. Uh, next season, uh, which kind of makes sense because, you know, to jump ahead at the end of the season, at the end of the episode, um, you know, it doesn't look like Gideon in the traditional form will be around. Um, but yeah, it does like there's, there's this like incredibly advanced AI and yet, you know, she was so easily hacked. She's been, you know, people, you know, working around her and stuff like that. And it just seems to me that, you know, they've been, you know, not treating Gideon, this is going to sound silly with the respect that, you know, she deserves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just, you know, sort of, you know, and I think maybe that's one reason why they're moving away from, you know, Gideon as the AI to Gideon as the person, because, you know, if they were doing Gideon properly, you know, she, you know, it, it would shut down some storytelling possibilities. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with that. Um, you know, uh, did we get Amy Louise in person this season? Cause we usually get her no. once in person per season. And I don't think we did this season. Correct. Yeah. We did not get her in person this season. I do. That could be COVID. Yeah, that could be. I do agree with you. They um, they did nerf Gideon towards the end of the season. There was also that storyline that they, I don't know if it was a tease, but it was the way Amy Louise Pemberton was playing Gideon at the start of the season. Like She, she had like bloodlust in her at times. It was a little over the top for Gideon that 
there was no payoff for. So it, I'm confused as to what that was at the start of the season. Maybe it was nothing. Maybe it was just, I don't know what it was. But um, I, I was surprised that it didn't turn into a storyline. As the season progressed, Gideon was used less and less, which that could have been maybe a COVID consequence. I don't know. Uh, we are going to be getting Gideon in the flesh, we learned, during virtual Comic-Con. So uh, maybe they were just saving some Gideon goodies for when... Uh, I guess she gets printed out or something. I'm going to assume that's what's going to end up happening. Or maybe we actually meet the human that was uh, inspired Gideon. I don't know. Uh, hopefully it is our Gideon. So she has all of the uh, memories and that sort of stuff of everything that's happened. We'll have to wait and see, though. So let's talk about the actual action in the episode. We're going to talk about the wedding separately, so let's talk about how Bishop gets defeated. Yes, there is a wedding right at the start of an alien invasion. The Zagarons end up invading 1925 um, Texas, and it's all hands on deck. Spooner, you know, as I mentioned, ends up getting revived with the serum that young Bishop created. And during the fight, she's able to use the fountain's powers to transfer her team's powers to each other. Because some, some people end up getting scratched from the Zagaron. And as we know... Our Sarah Lance, at the start of the season, got scratched by one, and she died, like die, died. That's how we got the clone. So um, uh, Spooner's able to transfer uh, Sarah's powers of regeneration to people, and you know the, the Wonder Twins' powers of wind is transferred, and then uh, Astra's magic is transferred. So we get like powers getting swapped all over the place. We have Ava stealing up. Like, it's a lot of stuff that ends up happening. But the thing that saves the day is it's the power of love, y'all. <laughs> it is the power of love. Literally. And that's what uh, sort of um, revives the fountain and also convinces the fountain to stick around because the fountain of Imperium now believes and trusts and feels like the humans are worthy. So a blast from the fountain, a giant, you know, lights mushroom ends up killing the Zagrons. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and now that I'm talking about it, it is ridiculous, but it's legends. It is supposed to be ridiculous. So the Zagrons get obliterated and Bishop comes down to Earth because his plan is to kill all of the humans. The Zagrons are going to do that so that Sarah and him are there on Earth. They are the brand new Adam and Eve and they will be together forever. So he he joins the group. He's going to, I guess, kill them all one by one until Sarah's the last person left. But Rory and Kayla's babies hatch. And we learn through Gary that um, typically they are hungry and eat the first thing they see. And so they eat Bishop. Burm, burm, burm. Bishop is gone. Let's talk about this. It is ridiculous. I know. I just laughed at myself discussing this or, or recapping this. Let's talk about the ridiculousness. Millie, you're a ridiculous person. You like ridiculosity, right? Yes, I love ridiculousness. <laughs> Even the TV show, right? <laughs> Correct. All right. Talk to me about this. Um, so it's like, as much as I like ridiculousness, I thought this was just, I guess I liked it, but it felt a little anticlimactic for Bishop to be eaten by alien babies. I don't know, I was expecting maybe more of an extreme kind of death for this, like, very mastermind, uh, genius kind of person. Um, so to go out by death by 49 babies, I thought was a little bit sad. All right. All right, Professor, I want to get your take on this, too. Sometimes you are on the complete opposite side of Millie Wood. But there are times when you agree with her. 
So this was ridiculous. Like I already said it, Millie Wood said it's ridiculous. I'm sure you're going to say it's ridiculous. But was this over-the-top ridiculous, or was this appropriate? What did you think of how Legends, the writers, wrote out Bishop and everything that happened to, to get to that point? I also want to get your take on the power swapping and all that stuff. Uh, well, in terms of uh, Bishop, absolutely the right way to go. Uh, yes, it was ridiculous, but in exactly the same delightfully ridiculous way that having a giant Bebo, uh, you know, destroy a demon by demanding cuddles was the right way to go. It's, it's just where you, your jaw drops and you're staring at it going, did that just happen? Well, of course, it just happened. It's legends. It's perfect. And especially because, you know, uh, Bishop sees him coming and it's just like, oh, look at you cute little guy. And then the cute little guys just eat it. It was delightful. And then to have Gary, of all people, to get the line, oh, yeah, they, they, they're pretty hungry when they come out. Um, it was, uh, yeah, I thought it was entirely the right way to go. And, you know, if you want to look at it from a poetic justice point of view, he did try to kill them. And also, he's the one who is, you know, all about alien human hybrids. Well, guess what? You died by alien human hybrids. So you. Uh, so I actually I did like that. Um, you know, much I, you know, I loved uh, Bishop, but they had, you know, they, they had done that. You know, there'd be no reason to keep him around. Uh, there was no redemption for him. Um, I did briefly wonder whether maybe the younger version of him might stick around, but apparently that's not going to be the case. Um, uh, as far as the other stuff, um, I had actually noticed, uh, you know, so the, uh, you know, they're, they're having the, uh, the wedding ceremony and, and how delightful was it? You know, their, their vows were, were so heartfelt and beautiful. Uh, and I had noticed actually that Nate had not actually finished it that, you know, when, if anyone showed any just cause, that's when Bishop showed up. And I was thinking to myself, wait a second, they haven't actually been married yet. What's going on here? Um, and so, of course, we get the payoff with the realization that, hey, we haven't actually married you yet. Uh, and it, again, it, it's it's a bit silly in a way, but on the other hand, it's it's very legends that it's, you know, it's that, you know, as, as John said to uh, to Sarah when she had her, uh, her drug-induced, uh, you know, moment of clarity, we're all connected. Uh, and that was paid off with Spooner being able to transfer the powers which was cute love the scene with uh, ava you know uh getting the uh, the metal arm um you know they could maybe have done more with that but you know the episode was already pretty much overstuffed and i can't think of anything i would have wanted to drop uh, in order to have more fun with them you know transferring powers and stuff like that but you know just to have that scene where you know the whole team and again having kayla holding them off meant that the whole team could come together form into that little huddle uh, you know, and share that moment. You know, it, it is that that you know special moment. You know, not just for the two of them, but for their friends, for their you know extended family. Uh, you know, their 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 family by choice. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, it, it's a little cheesy, sure, but you know, for that you know moment of of love and and truth to be what convinces the founder of Imperium that you know what these humans aren't as bad as we thought. You know, they're not all like John Constantine. Uh, you know, I, we said earlier in the season, you know, the idea of, you know, a planet, you know, occupied by, you know, Sarah clones and Ava clones wouldn't be the worst thing. And I think, you know, the founder of Imperium realized that, you know what, these two, if you're looking for exemplars of humanity, this, this clone and this immortal assassin, you know what, they're not a bad bet. I know, right? Yeah, 100%. I was a little disappointed that they didn't keep young Bishop just because Rafi Barsoomian was so fantastic as the younger version of his character that I was like, could they keep him on the wave rider and maybe send him on like a path of goodness or something? But they did. And she was like, you know, you're going to have to live out your life the way that you're supposed to without knowing any of this, do a little men in black flash thing and uh, sends him to the past uh, or well, no, technically the future to his past. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I guess, but uh, a missed opportunity because uh, I think he could have been interesting on the Wave Rider. But anyway, so before we talk about the wedding, there was a tiny little character beat that I do want to discuss. So remember, Spooner was dying. She has a connection to the fountain. The fountain was dying. But then Bishop, a young Bishop, created the serum. She came back to life or she was revived. And she has a moment with her mother that I thought was really nice. I, I just, I like their interplay these past couple of episodes. Uh, so she's with her mom and she basically tells her mom, um, cause they're preparing for the wedding, uh, because they decide, you know, if the world's going to end, uh, you know, Sarah and, and Ava are going to get married because what would Sarah never do? And that's getting married before an alien invasion. And so they're preparing for the wedding, which, let me just say, gave me pause for half a second because I'm like, this woman from 
1925, or what, what year were they? Yeah, 1925, is going to be okay with two women getting married on her property. That was a whole other story for a whole different day. But uh, basically, Spooner's like, you need to leave. You know, you can't be here and fight with us because I can't lose you. Because, you know, all my life I've thought that, you know, aliens had killed you. And if you stick around, now knowing that they didn't kill you, that's going to end up happening. And so uh, Spooner's mom is reluctant, but then she ends up agreeing that she was going to, to leave to make sure that she is safe. We get a tiny little moment of support with Astra and Spooner together. It was a little embrace, which I'm going to say, I don't think I had noticed how vertically challenged Spooner is. But I, I was like, damn, either Astra's really tall or Spooner's just not tall. I didn't have to notice it until that moment. But th there's a hug between friends, which was really nice because Spooner and Astra have come a long way since the start of the season. Millie, talk to me about Spooner and her mom. Um, I know you haven't been the biggest Astra fan, but I feel like you're getting kind of convinced that Astra is, is, has grown, at least. What did you think of that little moment for Spooner and her mom? And then, you know, between friends, uh, Astra and Spooner together. Yeah, I, I, like I really enjoy, like, the small beats we've gotten with Spooner on um, this past couple of episodes. We shows a lot of her development, and we get to see uh, her kind of get that closure, or at least um, the mystery solved about her mom. Um, I think I've said it multiple times, like, I really was not expecting Lake Spinner as much, and I really have enjoyed that, and the fact that she's still part of the main storyline, but she can have these small beats um, that add to her character, but also can add to the bigger um, storyline as well. I thought was really smart. And Astro, the correct people, has grown on me, um, and so her beat, and just the way that she's supported Spinner through this whole um story arc with finding her mom and coming to terms with that, I feel like they're able to bond on that level, and that, I think, is what helps warm myself up to her, is uh, she can connect her on that level and, and not be that um, harsh, judgy self that we saw when we first were introduced to Astra. Absolutely. Another tiny moment that we're going to discuss before we get into the vows and all that kind of stuff is between Gary and and Ava. A tiny little moment, but a really wonderful and heartwarming moment. Ava is freaking out because she's surprised that Sarah, of all people, has already written her vows for the wedding, and uh, Ava hasn't, and she's the one that prepares. I mean, she was so busy with the preparations and all, all the stuff for a wedding that she was planning that isn't even happening. You know, she didn't have the chance to write her vows. And Gary talks her down. She basically, He basically tells her, you know, you're just going to look into her eyes and you're going to know exactly what to say. Gary is usually always, you know, the, um, the butt of the joke. Let's be real. His obsession with Ava. I mean, he even called her Director Sharp uh, or something when, when um, she asked him to walk her down the aisle. So th there's always that sort of like running gag, but it was a really nice, genuine moment of connection between both of them. Wouldn't you say, Professor? Oh, definitely. And um, it's funny, like, uh, you know, it, it was that moment where, you know, Ava asked him to walk her down the aisle that I teared up a little bit and then stayed at that level for the rest of the episode because there were always these little things, you know, whether it was Mick walking uh, Sarah down the aisle or, you know, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the vows or, you know, all of it that you just had these, this continuing series of, of moments uh, that really worked for me. And it was really, you know, it was a bit unexpected, you know, because as you say, Gary is so often the butt of the jokes. And actually, as I was watching it, you know, with him giving her this very heartfelt, uh, you know, statement. And let's face it, you know, Gary has a relationship with Ava that goes back further than anyone's, you know, because he knew her from the, uh, you know, the Time Bureau days. Um, so, you know, it, it makes sense for him to be there. Um, but I, I could absolutely see, because as you say, you know, Gary has been, you know, the butt of jokes for so long. I could absolutely see him, you know, saying that, you know, absolutely heartfelt thing. And then them going for the cheap joke, which is shut up, Gary. And then boom, you know, cut to next seat. But they didn't, 
you know, they, they gave us the emotional payoff for Gary uh, and for Ava, which I thought was, you know, absolutely delightful, especially because, you know, if you're talking about who should walk her down the aisle, I mean, technically her dad, her creator, uh, was there in the crowd. So, you know, she could have got, been walked down by him. But no, it made sense for it to be Gary. And it was a great payoff for him. So I love the fact that they got that. And, uh, you know, as, as you say, Gary is so often played for the laughs. But really, that was just a little character moment in the episode that, that totally hit me in the feels. Same here. 100%. And, well, let's get deeper in the feels. Let's talk about the wedding. Uh, there were spectacular vows. I mean, it started off with Nate as the officiant saying, you know, how they met. You know, she had a gun, she had a glare. And then we get spectacular vows, like beautifully written vows from Sarah, beautifully uh, uh, improvised, I guess, vows from Ava, their wedding does get interrupted by the Zagarons' uh, invasion, but in the middle of the invasion, as you know, we sort of have already, well, it was already mentioned, we haven't really fully discussed it, but um, in the middle of the invasion, they do end up finishing the vows, and that is, you know, the power of love that ends up zapping the Zagarons. Um, it, it all leads back to uh, what uh, Constantine had told uh, Sarah, when she bit into the Constantine shroom, uh, what did he say? Uh, loving and being loved, that's the point. We're all connected. And, and that's what uh, inspires the Fountain of Imperium. So the actual wedding, Sarah and Ava getting married. Let's talk about it. I want to get both of your opinions. We'll start off with Millie. It was a very Legends-esque wedding, and it made sense. Um, but I do love that they were able to have the moment before being interrupted uh, to have their vows, and I thought that was like this this small in the kind of eventful episode. They did take that moment. Um, I thought it was so fitting that uh, everything that like Sarah's was like beautifully crafted, and, and just the language in it was, I think, uh, really sweet. And then just to see Ava kind of uh, quote unquote wing it, I thought it was cute. And I just thought everything was fitting, like that that. Gary walked Ava down, Nick walked Sarah down. I thought that was all really cute. And the fact that they did actually get to finish the wedding and someone noticed that because I feel in other Arrowverse weddings, they always forget that part. Well, there is that. Professor, I want to get your take on this as well. And also, I want to at least make a little note that this is the second wedding that we've seen this season from an Arrowverse show. And it's the second wedding that we've seen that has been filmed at a time you know, when there's COVID, there are COVID precautions. So this is also the second wedding that has been small, intimate, really just featuring the core cast with maybe one or two recurring players. This is also the second wedding that has featured one of the cast members singing. Uh, Bayrod sings as uh, everyone walks down the aisle. Um, just wanted, wanted to make note of that in case you want to mention any of that uh, in your response to, to what you thought of this intimate Legends wedding. Well, it was a, it was a clever idea, you know, because we we known that there was going to be the wedding, uh, you know, somewhere towards the end of the season. You know, all season long, we've kind of been waiting for it, you know, with all the wedding prep and stuff like that, uh, you know, where you're sort of expecting something big and splashy. But of course, you can't really do that in time of COVID. Uh, and I think they're a really clever thing by, you know, they're stuck in 1925. They're just throwing it together in a matter of hours. So the only people there, and, you know, you kind of see that, you know, they had, you know, the, the pews sort of set up, you know, for the people who sit there and, you know, you could see that you know, it was almost like social distancing, but the reason for that was, you know, there weren't that many of them, uh, you know, in the past to make that up. So I thought it was, it was sort of a clever way of, of dealing with, uh, with, uh, with the situation. I think over on The Flash, when they did the renewal of the vows, it was, you know, basically excused away that it was just a family sort of thing. Uh, so, you know, that explains why there, you know, there wasn't the bigger crowd or anything like that. But I thought it worked. Uh, you know, it, it was, it was, it was sweet. It was touching. You know, both of their vows uh, were, were tremendous, uh, you know, and very heartfelt. And then to finally get, you know, these, these two crazy kids, you know, that have been, you know, circling each other, you know, since what season two, I guess, um, you know, and, and finally come together uh, was great. And co-captains for life was just, you know, the, the best way for Trave to end that. Very true. I'm so glad they finally got married. It was beautifully done and a very legendsy way to do it in the middle of an alien invasion. 
So I think we've covered everything before we get to the cliffhanger at the end, the stinger. Was there anything that I missed before the stinger? A tiny little moment that either of you want to chat about before we discuss the major cliffhanger at the end of the episode? All right, let's talk about it. So everything is wonderful. Everything is hunky-dory. You know, we have said goodbye to Mick. Bishop has been thwarted. Constantine, we bid him adieu. And uh, we have the legends who are kind of like, okay, well, that was easy. You know, everything isn't, doesn't necessarily always end up this way, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's a little strange that everything's sort of wrapped up in, in a little bow. And then as they're walking to the Wave Rider, we see a ship, a time ship, it looked just like the Wave Rider, appear out of nowhere and it blasts the Wave Rider. Kaboom. So they are stranded in 1925, Odessa. Let's talk about this. Was that our Wave Rider, a different Wave Rider from the future, maybe, that did this to our own legends? Did they do this to themselves? Question mark? Uh, what is going on here? Uh, what did you think of the cliffhanger? Do we have any theories on what this means? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess this is me leading into our predictions for next season, if you have any predictions. Uh, yeah, what the hell was that? What the what? I do remember reading an interview with Jess McCallan, and she said that the final five minutes would leave us with our jaw on the ground, um, nothing before this left me with the jaw on the ground, but this was surprising in a big way. Uh, let's see, uh, Millie, we'll start off with you. What the hell happened? Yeah, my first thought was, like, future legends mucked something up or did something. They have to keep these legends in this time and that it's the future selves uh, blowing up the wave rider. Um, that's as far as I got in terms of theories because I have no idea. They did not give us really anything else um, in terms of hints of what the big thing could be next season. So I, my current thought is they, are self, they have self-sabotaged themselves on purpose. Okay. Professor, do you agree? What the hell happened? Yeah, that's my gut feeling, is that it's them going back in time to destroy, uh, you know, uh, the Wave Rider. And, and, you know, now that's that they shouldn't be um, uh, stranded. Uh because, you know, they have their, you know, their time thingies on their wrists. And we did see them use it to uh, uh, to send young Bishop back. So, I mean, and as uh, as Nate said, it, you know, just last episode, why don't we wear these things all the time uh, or a couple of episodes ago? Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that they still had that. It, it's interesting. You know, I think it's it's it might be a clever, you know, storytelling thing because, you know, one of the things for Legends is always a you know, well, what is your, you know, you, what is your arc of it? And, and, you know, they've done a really great job of refreshing things by completely changing it up, whether they're dealing with the encores or dealing with the aliens or dealing with, you know, whatever, uh, you know, sort of having that overwhelming theme. Even if it's not a big bat, you know, having that sort of theme. Um, if you're going to like strand them, you know, or at least, you know, take away from them, uh, you know, Gideon and the Wave Rider, even if they can still travel through time with their, uh, their time portals, um, you know, if they don't have Gideon to fall back on, you know, that's, you know, a tremendous resource that you know um that they're without because it's always gideon who's telling them you know where the uh you know the problems are and, and taking them there so uh you know that would be an interesting challenge you know i um uh, legends is often compared sometimes favorably sometimes not with doctor who uh and one of the tricks with doctor who you know because doctor who kind of like you know gideon the wave rider is the tardis and once you take that away you know you, you've stripped them of you know kind of their their biggest weapon and you know force them to to adapt on their own um so i'm curious to see i i doubt that it'll be a full-time thing i think you know honestly gideon uh you know and the wave rider are part of the team and, and have been there since the beginning uh so i do hope they find a way to get back to that but uh you know I, again yeah totally took me by surprise the thing i loved about it though uh which you know if you if you go back and you watch that final scene again because it was ava who was saying you know how she was feeling that you know things came together too easily and she's you know really feeling you know uh you know not so great about this you know feeling you know nervous 
you know, the other uh, wave rider appears and blows up the wave rider. And you see everyone else is having this, the simple, you know, jaw drop shock expression. Jess McCallan's reaction is you know, like a big physical. Oh, God damn it. You know, she's she's doing this huge physical move and no one else is. And it really stands out because of that. It was just a delight. Oh, I need to go rewind that. I can't uh, wait you know, to see it's that. Absolutely, it, it's, honestly, it's, it's one of those things that I love about Legends, as I say, that, which is the physical reactions that go on in the background of scenes. And this is just everyone else is reacting with mouth dropped, uh, you know, jaw dropped, you know, open mouth horror. And Jess McCallan is having this big physical arms out. Oh, I can't believe it. It's, it's great. Yeah, you know Ava's pissed that she was right. And she loves that she was right, but she's so fucking pissed that she was right. <laughs> Love it. Any other predictions for next season? Legends is a very difficult show to predict. I mean, we know a couple things for certain. Like, we know we will be getting a physical, in the flesh, uh, maybe flesh with air quotes, I don't know, a version of Gideon. We know that Matt Ryan will be playing some sort of scientist as his new character. We also know that a couple episodes into this brand new season, which yes, starts in five weeks, we will have the 100th episode of Legends. Do we have any predictions from either of you? I think I think making predictions about Legends is a fool's game. Uh, it, it, it's, it's so batshit crazy in the best possible way uh, that, yeah, I, I don't think you can predict anything. Yeah, I know. Except I agree with funny you and crazy. Yeah, uh, this is the the worst show to predict just because it's nuts. Do we at all think that we're going to get a new addition to the Wave Rider? I, I know because of COVID, I kind of feel like maybe we won't. I feel like maybe Matt Ryan's character will be the sole new addition. Yeah, I think in the short term, yeah, I think the uh, Matt Ryan's character and also uh, Amy Louise Pemberton joining in the flesh. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, probably enough, you know, as we've said before, when you get too many people on the wave rider, it becomes very difficult and, you know, they've done a great job, you know, uh, over the, uh, the season for the most part, except for the, the Constantine heavy episodes of balancing things, keeping everyone in line, but they've got, you know, some great characters and a good team that plays well off each other. Um, so I, I think that, you know, we, we've got plenty of storytelling possibilities to deal with just with the characters that we have. And, you know, maybe if they, if they aren't, you know, chasing aliens all the time, maybe you can deal more with the character stuff, but yeah, I think they'll find a way to to find some reason for these, you know, wacky bunch of misfits to uh, to save the future in some way. Totally. My one hope for the season, it isn't really a prediction, my one hope is that when we see Gideon in the flesh, I hope that the relationships that she's developed with some of the characters verbally, vocally, translates well um, in a physical way. Like, I would love to see her be a gamer with Bayrod because that was something that was kind of brought up. So I'd love to see her, you know, playing video games with him. Like some of the interpersonal stuff that's only been able to, to happen via voice. I'd love to see that actually happen in the flesh. I think that would be kind of interesting. We'll have to wait and see what they do with Gideon. Uh, I but, doubt that they'll hmm. do that. If, if we're talking about predictions, I think that they will bring in Amy Louise Pemberton as perhaps a version of Gideon who literally doesn't know them at all. You know, because it's kind of like when they bring in, you know, Maisie Richards and Sellers playing a different character or, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Matt Ryan playing a different character next season uh, by basically, you know, wiping her and starting fresh. It allows them to, you know, uh, I think it gives them more storytelling uh, fun to play with, especially because you have the characters dealing, you know, expecting Gideon to react a certain way. And she doesn't. I think that that's uh, more interesting storytelling wise for the writer. So my guess is you'd be dealing with, you know, Gideon almost as a new character. Okay. Or, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're assuming the name of Louise Pemberton is going to be Gideon. Maybe she isn't. Well, there is that as well. That'll be interesting if she's a brand new character. Um, it'll be a little sad or not just to have... a Gideon who, mm-hmm. you know, a Gideon that, that, you know, when she was first created. You know, and again, it's canonical that she was created by Barry Allen. Let's not forget that. That is true. It'll be a little sad not for her not to have the same interpersonal relationships. But as we see with Legends every season... Having the characters get paired up with a new character, figuring out who has the chemistry, who connects, all that kind of stuff is a fun, exciting part of the journey of a season. So we'll have that. Let's talk about this episode's journey. It's time to head into the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So... 
choose wisely. Season finale, MVP of the season finale, Millie Wood. Who's your MVP and why? So I think I say this a lot, but this was very a team effort. It was a good balance, and everyone like did great with their parts. Um, you can really see, I think, in the resolution of the episode, that's why it's like that. But for my MVP, I'll have to give it to Sarah. It was fun to see her on her little mushroom trip, uh, having the talk with John, as well as the heart-to-heart with Nick. And then, of course, um, her vows, you know, tugged at the heartstrings uh, and was, like, very fitting for her and Ava's relationship. So, overall, I'll have to give it to Sarah. Fantastic choice. And you are correct. Legends really is a team effort. And I have no idea why some of the other Arrowverse shows don't understand that. Like, sometimes characters are put on sort of like the back burner or the side burner on other Arrowverse shows. They just need to watch a couple episodes of Legends to really understand how to fully incorporate all of the team, all of this giant cast, in an episode. Yeah. Make a note, Arrowverse. If I can even talk, make a note, Arrowverse people. Professor, your MVP and why? Uh, I'm going to give it to Bishop. This was our farewell to Bishop. Um, you know, he got to chew the scenes as uh, as the uh, the older evil Bishop, but also we got to see the uh, sort of younger, uh, still an arrogant prick, but you know, less confident, less uh, accomplished, uh, younger version. Uh, I think you know the the actor was great. I would love to find a way to bring him back. You know, not necessarily as Bishop. He was you know he was delight. Uh, he was clearly having so much fun. Um, I, I loved his ending at the hands of uh, the babies and. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Bishop was just uh, a delight uh, all season long, uh, but uh, really a, a good ending for him in this episode. I co-signed that, Professor. I hope they realize that they found a gem in him, and they find out some way to bring him back as a new character, even if it's just for an episode or two. Uh, giving him a new character to play, I think, will be a lot of fun, especially one that, that's like completely opposite of like young Bishop and even old Bishop. Give him a brand new character, I think he'd hit it out the park. I am going to give my MVP to Ava. I really enjoyed Jess McCallan in this episode. I mean, Jess McCallan usually is a shining star, period. But, uh, you know, just bringing in some of the insecurities that Ava had and then seeing her, you know, give these spectacular improvised vows to her love in this episode. It was just beautifully acted by Jess. She was fantastic as Ava and as Ava Prime in this episode as well. A teeny tiny little line and a teeny tiny little scene, but she sold it. Fantastic. So now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 Wave Riders? The point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted Golden Wave Rider. Professor? Ah, Golden Wave Rider. Uh, You know, just... Uh, an eminently rewatchable episode, uh, you know, delightful, you know, uh, I, I remember, you know, years ago, uh, you know, someone was saying that, you know, in the, uh, uh, in the writer's room to, to flash, it said, you know, what was it? Uh, heart humor spectacle. Uh, you know, and when you get all three of those things in an episode, it's going to be a good episode. This had all three of them in spades. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Starting off strong with the Golden Wave Rider for the season finale, season six finale of Legends of Tomorrow. Millie Wood, where do you stand? How would you rate this episode? Overall, I really enjoy it. I agree it's very rewatchable. I think for me, I compared it to like last week's episode, and it felt like a little bit of a drop-off um, with the big setups that we had, so I would have to give it a 9.5. All right, still a good number, but I will co-sign with the professor. I'm going to give it a Golden Wave Rider. As well, I thought it was fantastic, rewatchable, a strong ending to a fun season of Legends that featured a fantastic big bad. So yeah, for all those reasons and so much more. And also, I mean, it tugged at the heart strings, and uh, it actually served as a good farewell to two characters: uh, one that has been there since the beginning, and one that uh, became beloved uh, by all of us. So uh, yeah. Props to the writers. They did the damn job. So it's the end of the season. That means that we are going to give a letter grade to the season. A, B, C, D, F. Pluses and minuses are allowed. Let's see. Hmm. Let's start off with Millie Wood. 
Milliewood, what letter grade would you give this season, season six of Legends of Tomorrow? Overall, I think I had to give it an A minus. Uh, I really, they, we all understand that they had a lot of uh, issues, curveballs. I think that the beginning half of the season was a lot stronger. Um, as hard as it like thinks to have Sarah away from the team, I thought that was a big strength. Um, and we were able to kind of explore things in different ways. And we got introduced to Bishop. I feel like kind of towards the end, it felt a little weird to like reintegrate them all. And so there were some episodes, maybe it was more emphasis on John that kind of lost me a little bit. But overall, um, every episode was delightful. And I think that the overall arc and the introduction of the new characters and everything was really enjoyable. All right, starting off strong with an A- minus from Millie. Professor, what about you? What grade would you give this season? I'm going to give it an A. Uh, I don't think it was the best season uh, of Legends. Uh, you know, Legends, uh, you know, I think, you know, three or four uh, might be a little better. Um, but it, it was really strong. Uh, and, you know, we often talk about, you know, individual episodes being rewatchable and stuff like that. Last summer, I rewatched the entire, you know, third season of Legends. And it was just a delight. And I'm absolutely certain that when I, I will sit down, I will rewatch this season. Because, you know, overall, it was so strong uh, and, and so enjoyable throughout. So uh, for me, yeah, it's, it's an A. And I will agree with the A. I think it was a solid season of Legends. We had a fantastic Big Bad. The problem for me, and I'm saying a problem, but I'm giving it an A, the thing that I guess you know takes it away from the A+, is that it did feel a little disjointed this season. Because Sarah was kidnapped, she was away from the team for so long. Uh, there, it was, there was a little disjointedness in the episode, not in the episode, in the season as a whole. Um, so that's what dings it for me a little bit, but there are some incredibly memorable episodes this season. The one where, you know, we go to Bayrod's favorite sitcom stands out for me. The murder mystery one stands out for me. So there are, there are some gems this season. Um, the cast was fantastic and they really figured out how to fully integrate Astra into the team. Uh, Astra's development from beginning to end was really good. And the introduction to Spooner, her development from beginning to end was really good as well. So um, it's a it's a very good episode, a very good episode, I should say, a very good season of Legends of Tomorrow. It's just there have been other seasons that have just been spectacular, spectacular. So solid A from me as well. We would like to thank everyone for joining us these past 15 episodes. Here's our announcer, Gidget, to remind you on how you can interact with us. Thank you, Captain. Follow Perpetulo Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Perpetulo Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at perpetuoradio.com. Are you interested in joining the Perpetulo Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at perpetuoradio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Perpetulo Radio programs by visiting perpetuoradio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Time Masters and subscribe. Back to you, my captain. Thanks, Gidget. My co-host for the final time this season. Please wish our listeners a good night, starting off with Millie Wood. Good night, listeners. If you want to follow along with me, I'm on Twitter's at the Asian Nerd. And the professor. Good night, you crazy wackadoos. Thanks for tuning in. From all of us here at Time Masters, we wish you a good night. <laughs>